Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war Welcome to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. We're so glad to have you here today with Nurse Michelle on our Friday edition. Today, we're going to be talking about something that impacts a large percentage of American citizens. So you are either relevant for this as a listener or somebody you care about or know are taking antidepressants. And if you are in that population, you are going to want to tune in today because you are going to have your mind blown on what you do not know, what your doctor did not tell you, and what your doctor likely does not even know about taking what's called SSRIs, also known as selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And I have a special guest with me today who is a 10-year psychiatric nurse nurse david wayne and he's done a a couple of q a's with us here on nurses out loud so make sure you're tuning into our q a's and i do want to encourage our listeners if you have questions or comments or perhaps you want to share your own experience with what you're seeing on the front lines of healthcare, or you just have questions for us about anything you're hearing us discuss on radio whether it be um, the topic specifically or something that you feel like we have not addressed, send those questions in to nurses at americaoutloud.com and we will be featuring your questions and comments every Tuesday on a special Q&A episode with the nurses. We encourage all of you to engage in the battle and share this content, share it with people that you know have mental health issues because they most certainly are on SSRIs If you know people who are even struggling with any form of sexual dysfunction or sexual dysphoria, they're very likely on SSRIs, and we're going to address that today. So it's up to you to be a part of the battle and be someone who shares this kind of information that you're going to hear today with people outside of what you typically think would be listening to this kind of news, because you are not going to hear this on mainstream news. So today... I am excited to bring back um, Nurse David Wayne. Thank you for being here today. And let's hit the road running here and let's get into this SSRI topic and show this audience what is so shocking about these drugs. All right. Thank you, Michelle. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to be here. This has been something I'm uh, passionate about talking about. And like you hinted at, this is a topic that is relevant to all healthcare workers, not just psych nurses like me. And that's for a few reasons. One reason is that um, at the patient level, there are patients in all areas of healthcare uh, who are on these medications. We are rapidly closing in on having 50 million Americans on antidepressants. So you're going to be working with them no matter what area of nursing you're in. There's also uh, a systemic story here that 
uh, SSRIs can be a lens through which to view problems and shortcomings in our healthcare system that impact all areas of healthcare, all departments. And so, uh, I can speak to that. I can actually speak to that personally. I'm amazed at how many patients who go in to get um, difficult care for complicated medical system uh, situations going on with them are often told by their doctors, oh, you sound like you're depressed. You uh, I, Let me give you some medication to help you with your depression because they assume that if you're complaining about too many medical systems in your body, you must have a mental health problem. So there's no telling how many of you out there actually have legitimate medical issues and you've been put on a medication for the wrong thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As for myself, my opinion on these medications has trained, changed dramatically over the course of my career, I've pretty much done a 180. And the lesson there is to uh, always never be dogmatic, always be humble, always be willing to learn new information and, um, and to listen to your patients. So I would like to start with a disclaimer. And that is that I'm not your doctor. I am not a doctor. Um, and I have many criticisms of SSRIs, but I've also worked with many patients who reported just absolutely life-changing benefits from them. And those experiences are perfectly valid. So don't let anyone tell you that you need to be on an SSRI for the rest of your life. Don't tell your patients that they need to be on an SSRI for the rest of their life. Know that stopping abruptly though can be an absolute disaster. It can even be fatal. The process of reducing or stopping an SSRI can take several months to even years. If your doctor doesn't understand this, then you need to find a new doctor who is familiar with tapering, with hyperbolic tapering, or is willing to learn about it because the, the stakes with this are very high. Yes, that is a wonderful thing for you to make sure that everybody does know about. So now I want to have you educate everybody on a, a list of some of the drugs so that you can find out whether or not you, a drug category that you may be taking right now falls under SSRI so that you'll you'll recognize the name. We're going to just address the um, brand names, but I also am going to have him discuss something about him, his own history, that he is obviously a male nurse and he graduated nursing school in 2008. And at the time when he graduated nursing school, they only represented 7% of the nursing population. And today in nursing in 2024, they represent still only 12% of the nursing profession. So there is a unique insight that all of us can contribute to medicine. And uh, certainly having a nurse that is a male uh, does have its own unique insight to some of the things we're going to be talking about today. So I just wanted to give that as a heads up and let you go ahead and tell us some of the SSRIs so that they can recognize the name drugs. Sure, so some of the really common ones you'll hear about are Celexa or Citalopram, Lexapro or Escitalopram, Paxil or Paroxetine, Zoloft or Sertraline, but the one most people, most uh, average Americans are familiar with are, is Prozac or Fluoxetine. When Prozac hit the market in 1988, it wasn't the first SSRI, but it became part of just an absolute cultural phenomenon. Uh, part of that phenomenon was around the marketing of it. It was marketed as addressing a chemical imbalance that causes depression. And this, uh, this messaging, it really, it changed society. We all became familiar with serotonin as the happy chemical. And to this day, 80% of the general public still believes 
that serotonin is the cause of depression, that low serotonin is the cause of depression. Um, this messaging also, it changed psychiatry. It, um, it gave validity to a specialty in medicine that had kind of a bad reputation at that point in time. People in psychiatry were looked down upon by people who saw themselves as the real doctors. And all of a sudden with this chemical imbalance theory, uh, psychiatry had this had this sudden medical validity like no we're we're treating real people with with uh real medications that do real things in your brain and and that kind of caused uh, uh the psychiatric establishment to latch on to that to that narrative as well that chemical imbalance narrative you know something that amazed me uh you only know this if you have a family member who has a reason to seek medication like this is that Primarily, it's a psychiatrist who's going to be writing the prescriptions for the drugs, but your psychologist or your counselor is not the one actually prescribing the medications quite often. And if you want to be seen with your mental health issues, you're going to be seeing a psychologist or a counselor. But when it comes to your meds, um, it's not uncommon that you have to go back to your psychiatrist to go get new drug prescriptions and updated prescriptions. So have you know, you're obviously in the psychiatric nursing world with, does that look consistent for what you've witnessed as well? It does, except that there is a, a massive uh, shortage in psychiatric providers throughout the country. Um, wait lists are incredibly long to get in to see psychiatric providers. So very often people get these meds from their primary care provider. And that trend uh, does not seem to be changing anytime soon. And that's not a specialty for mental health. So there's a lot more room for perhaps not appropriate oversight of the mental health of that individual. If you're just getting prescribed a medication without the guidance to go and seek other um, ways to help with your medical, your, your mental health as well. Would you concur that seeking yeah. other modalities is necessary if you're being di diagnosed with depression? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Speaking right. of uh, being diagnosed with depression and chemical imbalances, as nurses, we know that there are chemical imbalances that can cause depression. Uh, hormone, hormones being a big one, especially for women. Um, testosterone too, and testosterone for women. Low testosterone can cause depressive symptoms. Thyroid hormones, of course, can cause depressive symptoms. And then there are the vitamins, vitamins B12, B6, folate, vitamin D, all these chemicals do have ties to our mental health and deficiencies in them can cause symptoms of depression. So when we talk about uh, uh, chemical imbalances being causative of depression, there are labs that can be checked. There, there are avenues that you can go down that do have validity. The one that, um, the one that has not stood the test of time is low serotonin being causative of depression. Can you even test serotonin levels with a basic lab, sending a patient to a local lab core and just getting their serotonin levels checked? Well, they can check uh, serotonin metabolites and, and that sort of thing. And there has been an enormous amount of energy put into checking serotonin and checking different neurotransmitters and trying to find links to mental illness. And there's a recent uh, meta-analysis um, about that, that uh, looked at, uh, looked at, and looked at a lot of things. It's called the serotonin theory of depression, a systemic umbrella review of the evidence. It was published in the journal of molecular psychiatry in 2022. 
So they looked at studies that examined serotonin, serotonin metabolites, concentrations in body fluids, serotonin receptor binding, serotonin transporters, brain imaging studies, postmortem studies, tryptophan depletion studies, gene association studies, and environmental action studies. So they looked at absolutely everything that's been published about the link between serotonin and depression over the last half century. They concluded, our comprehensive review of the major strands of research on serotonin shows there is no convincing evidence that depression is associated with or caused by low serotonin concentrations or activity. The chemical imbalance theory of depression is still put forward by professionals. The general public widely believes that depression has been convincingly demonstrated to be the result of serotonin or other chemical abnormalities, and this belief shapes how people understand their moods, leading to a pessimistic outlook on the outcome of depression and negative expectancies about the possibility of self-regulation of mood. The idea that depression is the result of a chemical imbalance also influences decisions about whether to take or continue antidepressant medication and may discourage people from discontinuing treatment, potentially leading to lifelong dependence on these drugs. So basically, they, they blew the whole theory out of the water. And you can go back to the, the 80s and all the uh, newspaper articles, all the all the uh, coverage in the news, all the commercials on TV, when they were saying that your depression is caused by low serotonin and this medication fixes it, they had zero evidence upon which to base that statement. It was all marketing and it was incredibly effective marketing. So many people still believe it to this day. That is unbelievable. I'm a girl who graduated in high school in 1985. So I'm a girl of the 80s and obviously the 80s music as well. And I'm amazed at what my generation has actually witnessed in changes. I, I remember when there used to never be an advertisement for a drug on television and when that changed and all of a sudden everything was being advertised like, oh, make sure to talk to your doctor about why you need to have this drug. And the very last thing they say is, and can cause death, be careful. Essentially, <laughs> uh, it's amazing that that is what we're having. And now we have people that are being essentially propagandized. Like you said, you called it marketing, but it is a form of propaganda that when people are discouraged and they need help, there's something wrong with them and depression can be disabling they are going to come to their doctors and ask for whatever the commercials are that they're seeing in this marketing campaign. So what can we do to expose to this audience to show them what is actually the truth about these SSRIs and tell them some things you discovered because you've been a, a psych nurse for 10 years and working on the psychiatric ward. And there's a lot of things you've witnessed. Um, and you're obviously somebody who is insightful, who is paying attention to uh, things that are going on. And I want to remind everybody that if you're out there and you're in nursing, even though you're not in psychiatric nursing, you can learn from what David is going to teach us here today because every specialty is going to have patients on SSRIs because you, you can be a pregnant woman in labor who's on an antidepressant. You can literally be any on a med search floor after a neat hip replacement on an SSRI, it does not matter what your specialty is. You need to learn more about this because as he mentioned, 50 million Americans are on these drugs and it is going to impact all of us to not be well-informed about this drug category. Yeah, absolutely. 
So imagine this scenario. Uh, you're a young man, you're in, say, your mid-20s, and you are lucky enough to schedule two clinic appointments in different departments on the same day. So you go to your first appointment and it is in urology and it is really embarrassing, but uh, you tell your doctor, hey doc, I'm having trouble in the bedroom. I'm having trouble with um, finishing too quickly. It's, uh, it's embarrassing. Neither of us are satisfied. Uh, is there anything you can do to help me out? And the, the doc says, sure, actually we have medications that are, that are very effective for that. I'm gonna give you a prescription for one here. Here's the patient education handout. Uh, it's so effective that within an hour of your first dose, you are going to experience genital numbing. So it's definitely gonna help you with, uh, with this problem. Okay, great. So you go down the hallway and you go to your next appointment and it's with your primary care provider. Uh, you tell him, you know, I know this isn't your wheelhouse, but there's such a long wait list for me to get into see a psychiatrist. I, I thought I would see if I could get some help from you. I'm really struggling. I think I'm I think I'm depressed. And your your primary care doc, this this is not something he's terribly comfortable with, but luckily he has a tool. He has a depression screening tool called the PHQ-9. And this is used throughout throughout the country to screen people for depression. Uh, outside of psychiatric settings. And uh, it's real quick and easy. Your doctor gives it to you, you fill it out. And, and sure enough, you've, you've scored high enough that he's now comfortable diagnosing you with uh, depressive disorder. Um, so he does that. And now you're in the prescribing algorithm and now he's got a, a prescription for you. So you, you um, get your patient education handout. Maybe it's from LexiComp. Uh, that's the one my hospital used. And you you read about the medication you're going to be taking. You read about the side effects. And normally they kind of call out the side effects that are very common and the side effects that are very dangerous. It's, it's a little bit different for an antidepressant because they create a whole separate category for sexual side effects, but it's very short and it's very vague. It says sexual side effects can be common. Uh, if these happen to you, be sure to talk to your talk to your prescriber. So you probably don't think much of that, but uh, uh, you take your two new prescriptions to the pharmacy, and guess what? They are for the same medication. The medication that your primary care doctor prescribed to you to address your depression that takes weeks and weeks to take effect to address your depression is effective within an hour of your first dose of causing genital numbing. This is uh, a place where we are doing just a deplorable job overall in the mental health system of informing patients, of giving them informed consent about the sexual side effects of SSRIs. Psychiatry and psychiatric meds are just rife for fraud because everything in psychiatry is so um, so subjective. Very little of it is objective. You know, if if you're giving somebody a medication for their blood pressure or something like that, you can measure their blood pressure easily and tell whether or not that medication actually works. In psychiatry, we have all these medications where the side effects are the exact same thing as the symptoms of the disease. 
if you're depressed, you have low libido. If you take an SSRI, it causes low libido. If you're depressed, you have anxiety. SSRIs can cause anxiety. If you're depressed, you might have insomnia. SSRIs can cause insomnia. If you're depressed, you have metabolic disturbances. SSRIs cause metabolic disturbances. So we're talking about the companies who have literally the largest criminal fines in human history for fraud and racketeering are, are able to just pass off any side effect of their medications as they, they, they just blame it on the depression. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's almost too easy. It's almost too easy. And, and it contributes to the stigma around people with mental illness too, that they might try and say like, Oh, this, you know, I feel like I'm having this side effect. It's from my medication. Somebody looks at that mental health diagnosis on their chart and, and, uh, they're less likely, less likely to believe them, unfortunately. Yeah, you could see how the medical profession itself would actually gaslight the patient. So a patient that's actually struggling with mental health issues is going to be mentally harmed by gaslighting because the very drug that they're being prescribed, like you said, can cause the very thing they're seeking help for. It's it's heartbreaking to realize that there are people with uh, me mental health issues like depression and there are nutri nutrient-based issues that could actually exist that need to be tested. And you listed a couple of those, but the question is audience is if you were put on an SSRI, did your physician actually talk to you about testing you for any of these depleted nutrients in your body? And if he, he or she did not, then you could certainly have those tests done and, and David can address what those specific ones might be. But if they did, hopefully they also recognize whether or not you were depleted. And if you were depleted, there was recommendations for these nutrients to be added back to trial before being on a prescription drug. How often do you actually see that, that these patients are actually taking nutrients to help them that you see in the psychiatric hospitals? There's actually a lot of variability doctor to doctor. Some doctors would be very good at doing a, a very comprehensive metabolic panel and, and looking at where somebody's at and prescribing uh, supplements for somebody when they're, when they're low on things, but other doctors, uh, other doctors um, are not that comprehensive, are not that interested in looking for, for possible biological drivers of depression. And they're going to, they're going to jump straight to uh, these medications that they believe are, are very safe and very, very effective. Yeah, that is uh, something that what would be some of the tasks that you would say the audience needs to be informed about requesting that if you're struggling with depression, it'd be worth a look into your nutrient load. Are, are you having sufficient um, intake of these kind of nutrients? I, you mentioned B12 as one of them, but what were some of the others? Folate? B12, folate, vitamin D is an important one, especially, you know, I'm, I'm here in Wisconsin and everybody in Wisconsin is vitamin D deficient for most of the year because we just, it's just uh, at this latitude, it's not possible to get enough sunlight on your skin. So that's one that can be a big driver of depression. Uh, you, you should be 
supplementing vitamin D in a lot of areas of this country, regardless of whether or not you, you think you're depressed because it's so important for your immune health. But then get those hormones checked too. Get your thyroid checked. And just because your thyroid might land in what's considered normal range doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, that you're not symptomatic. Uh, you can also ask for more than just a TSH thyroid check, you can you can ask for uh, a more comprehensive thyroid panel that might be uh, more illuminating in terms of what you have going on. And get those sex hormones checked too, uh, especially um, uh, females with testosterone. That can be a huge driver of depression that often gets overlooked. Yeah. And even taking hormones, they come with their, their own um, risks as well. So be well-informed. That's probably a topic we're going to have to address on Nurses Out Loud as well. The, the artificial hormone supplements that are out there that are given. I was a person who has a blood clotting disorder who came out of a radical hysterectomy, which means they took out my uterus and my ovaries. It was supposed, I was supposed to come out with at least one ovary still in, and they, I was only 40 years old. And they took out both of them. And I woke up to a little sticker on my hiney that was supposed to take the di to make up the difference for all the estrogen that I was just lost in losing those ovaries. But with my blood clotting disorder, it was actually very dangerous for me to be put on that patch because I had a stroke. My first stroke actually happened within a few weeks of that patch being put on me because it does estrogen does have an effect on the uh, blood coagula the coagulation of your blood. So in my case, uh, estrogen supplement proved to be very dangerous and harmful to me. And we can talk about more of that on the other side. Uh, we're going to come back and tell you some things that are just going to blow your mind on the sexual impacts and the discoveries that David made while working inside of the mental health uh, arena. And you are going to be amazed how much it ties into what's going on in our culture right now. But don't forget to check out our online store at americaoutloud.shop where you can find all the products that we represent on our network at a discounted rate, including ASEA Redox 28 Gel, which I can personally speak to seeing fantastic results with pain relief through my hip surgery recovery. I'm about 16 weeks out from my hip surgery. And that I have not had to take Tylenol, ibuprofen or anything by just simply rubbing the gel on my sore and inflamed hip as it's going through its recovery. But I also had a recent cold that I I literally caught from a Humane Society kitty that we adopted. It came home sneezing fits like crazy. And as we're loving up on it, it's sneezing all in our faces. I ended up with this pressure in my sinuses that I was quite determined not to take any Tylenol or ibuprofen for. And I was nebulizing. So I rubbed the ASEA gel on my face under my um, jawline and I, my jawline and my cheekbone. And I cannot, I, I can certainly attest that without a need for a Tylenol yet again, I was able to treat it with a natural native product to my body and did not have to use pain medicine. So you've got to get this gel. If you're out there listening, use promo code out loud to save 15% off your purchase. And I'll catch you on the other side of the break. Stay with us. It's time and this is Cholesterol, blood pressure, blood sugar, inflammation, and weight. These are all real-world problems that 87% of Americans are struggling with. Fight back with Heal Right. Heal Right is a bar you eat, but it's food as medicine that addresses the nutritional root cause of health issues in just eight weeks. 
take action today. Visit HealRight.com slash OutLoud or AmericaOutloud.shop and use the code OUTLOUD for 20% off. ASEA believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel our very best. Our Redox-based products tap into reserves within you to power your personal well-being. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in fulfilling your greatest potential. ASEA, we power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. Who's got time for a nasal invasion messing up your lifestyle? Crush those nasties before they become a problem. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order with the coupon code OUTLOUD, you'll receive 20% off the entire purchase. Go to americaoutloud.shop. That's americaoutloud.shop and use coupon code OUTLOUD. Use Cofix RX because it works. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Expert opinions, honest debate, and in-depth investigations are what you've come to expect from AmericaOutloud.news. We don't shy away from speaking the truth boldly and plainly. All that's missing is the propaganda that has infected legacy and social media. Get the best of down and dirty, wholesome American speak. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Outlaw Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Michelle. Wherever you're listening from today and whatever you're doing, I thank you for giving me the gift of your time. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.news your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the podcasts, and videos so we can help secure America's future. And you all know that um, America Out Loud in general and Nurses Out Loud particularly is anti-fear. We do not want people making decisions based on fear. We do not want people uh, following in a path of fear to make your decisions. But I do want to remind you that though we do not want you to make um, difficult decisions and, and go get a vaccine because somebody has propagandized us into being afraid of a virus that is treatable, I do want you to realize that Fear is a gift. And there's a book that's been written that's called The Gift of Fear and Other Survival Signals That Protect Us from Violence and Harm. True fear is a gift. Unwarranted fear is a curse. Learn how to tell the difference. And today's topic is about SSRIs. And we address on the first half what list of drugs that is that 50 million Americans are taking in our society. It is being given younger and younger attention to children and more and more young children are being put on antidepressants for management of their behavior and management of them in schools. So this impacts all of us. And when you have the appropriate fear of drugs that are dangerous for you, 
because maybe it's the wrong time of life. Maybe it's the wrong prescription for you at that time. Maybe you haven't looked into the side effects and you need to know more about the side effects before you actually take that first pill. That is what we're doing here on Nurses Out Loud. We are doing proper informed consent that nurses are supposed to do for their patients. So nurses out there, you need to be paying attention to the medications you are giving. And you think, oh, of course we are, Nurse Michelle. But I, I guarantee you there are medications that you have a gloss over knowledge of and you have a general idea of the general uh, course that that medication may take. But I encourage you to become more and more informed on the drugs that you're giving on your unit and be well informed of the drugs like these SSRIs so that you can help your patient at the bedside become more informed and help them learn about data they may not know is out there. So I've got with me today, Nurse David, and we're going to start back where we left off. And he had told us something about a questionnaire that many of us have taken on our annual checkups to our doctors. And Dan David, why don't you start there with us with something we're all familiar with taking this questionnaire? What is it called? And tell us the history of it. Sure. The PHQ-9 is a, a very common depression screening tool used throughout the United States. And uh, one would think that um, if I had to guess the origins of it, I, I would have guessed that this was um, this was created by some sort of panel of renowned psychiatrists or, or something like that, but um, that, that's not where it came from. The PHQ-9 depression screening tool used throughout the United States right now was developed by Howard Kroplick. He was a marketing man for Pfizer, and he came up with it shortly after they released their blockbuster SSRI Zoloft. The strategy there was to increase sales of Zoloft. The problem was there weren't enough psychiatrists out there to prescribe it, and they needed a way to make general practitioners comfortable giving their patients antidepressants. So that's that's the history of the PHQ-9 and why it's used throughout the country. It was to supercharge sales of antidepressants, and it worked. I mean, we see it in how many antidepressant prescriptions are written. Again, we're closing in on, on 50, 50 million here. So uh, there are lots of valid critiques that the PHQ-9 overestimates somebody's uh, depression and is going to falsely classify them as depressed when a full screening by an actual psychiatrist probably wouldn't. And so it's it's doing the job that it was created to do by the company with the largest criminal fine in human history. Yeah. What's a scarier thought, audience, is that your pediatrician is actually doing this questionnaire with your children around the age of 10 plus. So if you haven't noticed this appearing, once your child gets preteen, prepubescent, they are going to be asked this question from the PHQ-9, which also indicates to you that that pediatrician is prepared if, if to either prescribe antidepressants for your child or mental health medications for your child. But hopefully if they're asking the question because maybe they've been mandated by law to ask these questions now, that they are hopefully going to send a child that doesn't do well on that test or has a high score to indicate that there are red flags with mental health, they're going to send this child to a pediatric psychiatrist like David just mentioned. Thanks for revealing that to us because I certainly had no idea that, but being that I'm more than half of a hundred years old, I have noticed the appearance of this questionnaire onto the scene of the medical community in my lifetime. I remember when it wasn't there and when it did appear 
And it appears that it is yet another evidence of the pharmaceutical industrial complex reaching its tentacles into our homes. Um, David brought up something that blew my mind. When you think of serotonin, nurses, doctors, and just anyone out there listening, and they tell you about it being the happy chemical, don't you assume that this serotonin is primarily in the brain? And he just surprised me with telling me that that was not actually accurate. So why don't you tell them what you told me, David? Yeah, so serotonin, uh, you know, we think of it as the happy chemical is this neurotransmitter linked to our mental health. And we think about it being in our brain, but actually 90% of our serotonin is in our gut. And this, uh, this chemical has effects on all of our body systems, not just our, not just our mental health and not just our neurological system. It's also an incredibly ancient neurotransmitter. You can, you can go back in time and, and I mean, it's not just mammals that have serotonin. It's also crustaceans. <laughs> Lobsters have serotonin in their brain. There are even plants that have serotonin in their systems that trigger root growth and that sort of thing. This this chemical is absolutely ancient and, and it's incredibly reductionist to think of it as the happy chemical, but it is really good marketing. Oh yeah. Amazing to say that. Now we were talking on the first half about the impact of SSRIs on the uh, entire body, but we did focus on one particular major shocking impact, which was the sexual dysfunction impact and what can happen with people who take these meds. But if they get off these meds, is that a way to end the suffering that they may be experiencing? Uh, so not for everyone. And, and that's a that's a big problem. It's a big problem when we talk about providing people with informed consent for these medications. So you can expect that you're going to have some sexual side effects on an SSRI. The vast majority of people do, whether it's uh, just lowered libido, um, but it's also performance issues for both men and women. For men, it can be uh, impotence. It can be uh, numbing. For women, it can also be vaginal dryness, and it can be numbing and loss of libido. And you would hope that if you had those severe side effects, if you're able to come off your SSRI, that they would go away. But unfortunately, what we've learned in recent years is that isn't always the case. This is an area of research that gets no funding because there's no profits in revealing that this is a, a widespread systemic issue. Uh, so um, there's a huge research gap in just exactly how prevalent it is, but it is a real thing. Uh, there are some estimates that it impacts about one in 200 users of SSRIs that they can have permanent sexual dysfunction even after they stop taking it. The condition is called uh, PSSD or post-SSRI sexual dysfunction. And if you're not being told about it when you're starting um, one of these medications, you're not being provided informed consent. The risk-benefit analysis is really, it's getting worse and worse and worse for SSRIs. Uh, when I look back to when I started on the psych unit as a nurse, we were telling patients, you know, this medication is going to fix the chemical imbalance, it's causing your depression, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it, that I, I was, we were years behind the curve there because that had already been blown out of the water. Um, there's uh, 
there's an article by a Harvard psychiatrist named Irving Kirsch. It's called The Emperor's New Drugs. It came out in 2004. And he was a, a psychiatrist at Harvard who throughout the 90s was very, very pro-SSRI. He wrote articles about it. He encouraged his colleagues. He taught his students about how awesome they were. And he had a graduate student approach him one day and propose a study where they would look at uh, the efficacy of SSRIs compared to placebo in the clinical trials that had been submitted to the FDA for approval they hit an unexpected roadblock in that they couldn't get a hold of any of those studies. Even though they were prescribing these medications, they couldn't actually read the clinical research supporting their use. So they did some FOIA requests and they got some surprising results uh, in terms of uh, SSRIs being just negligibly better than placebo, if better than placebo at all, uh, in the trials submitted to the FDA. Uh, so they did a series of more FOIA requests until they got every single clinical trial that was submitted to the FDA for the, the approval of an SSRI on the market. And the meta-analysis of that, uh, which he published in 2004, was that these medications are not more effective than placebo. Uh, that's not to say they're not effective. The placebo effect is real and it is an effect. Uh, but when you compare the side effect profile of a sugar pill to something that is going to almost guaranteed cause you side effects, including sexual side effects that might be permanent, the, the risk benefit analysis really, really goes out the window. That That is just mind blowing. You also mentioned that there's this post-SSRI sexual dysfunction. There's actually a diagnosis that happens, PSSD, uh, associated to people who have been on these SSRIs and experienced sexual dysfunction. Could you go into that a little bit? Yeah, uh, uh, PSSD, I, I, wish, uh, I wish there was more evidence to be able to, for me to talk about it with uh with more certainty but um it is a, an area of research that's that's really lacking unfortunately uh we know it's a real thing we know that more and more psychiatrists are becoming aware of it we know that patients have been outspoken that this happened to them for quite some time but unfortunately when something isn't widely understood to be a side effect uh they're often kind of uh they're often kind of gaslit they're often kind of dismissed and and um that's a that's a that's a rough road for somebody to have a side effect that's that severe and then to not even be not even be believed uh we're just starting to understand how long withdrawal can be from psychiatric medications. Back in the day, they didn't like the term withdrawal when talking about psych meds because they they thought that it implied addiction. So they would invent new terms that sounded a little better, like discontinuation syndrome. When they studied these things in the clinical trials, they would put people on Prozac for, say, six weeks and then stop it suddenly and then ask people, hey, do you have any, you know, any symptoms of withdrawal? And of course, they didn't because they had just barely started the medication. We're at a point where people have been off on these medications for decades and decades. And when they try to come off them, it is it is a train wreck. It is incredibly difficult. And it's often misperceived as a return of their original mental illness. A lot of the symptoms are the same, uh, but it can actually be a, a person can feel way worse from the withdrawal of the antidepressant than they felt when they first went on it. 
That is a heartbreaking thing to hear. Um, It's no surprise to me that the knowledge isn't being accumulated. Obviously, the pharmaceutical complex is wanting to keep this information from the public. But when you actually do any studies on, uh, even though we're in this hyper-sexualized generation where it seems like every time we turn around, we're having um, everyone's sexuality being shoved down our throats, Cornell Medicine actually published an article in 2018 called Five Facts All Men Should Know About Sexual Problems and Dysfunction. And one of the primary things that they made sure that we understood is that many men wait years before raising the issue with their primary care physician about any kind of sexual dysfunction going on. So if you've got men who've been taking antidepressants for um, maybe even a short time, the kind of frustration level that's going to have to build up in the mind of a of a man who is not wanting to even bring this up by nature there apparently it's just not something men are more prone to do so if they're having these kind of problems they're already going to be suffering with it for some time before they're even going to bring it to their doctor's attention and is their doctor even informed that these SSRIs are contributing to it women of course are going to gynecologists more commonly and women do are more prone to go and present with whatever their dysfunctions are, but it wouldn't be an uncommon thing to say. In fact, I'd say to the point of gaslighting women that they presume that every woman may have some propensity to desire sexuality less. So if she has a reduction in libido, is anybody going to make the connection to the fact that she's on an SSRI? If she's more dry and there's um and she's post 40 years old, are they just going to say she's premenopausal and not make any kind of connection? So you can see how um, a diagnosis like this can get so neglected and not even connected to what the real cause could be of a, of a male or female experiencing experiencing that. And now we're in a generation where we don't even know what a male and female is anymore, apparently. And in a psychiatric hospital, you actually have seen firsthand this generation change. And why don't you tell them a little something about what you've noticed about the changes in the sexuality of our culture and how it um, showed itself in the psychiatric world and what you knew about psychiatry and mental health on these subjects before. We can talk about it on another show completely, but just a little brief story of what you witnessed for the sake of the audience. Sure. Yeah. Um, when I started in uh, inpatient psychiatry and worked with adolescent patients, there was no such thing as non-binary or transgender kids. Uh, there were adults and and we would see them and work with them. Um, but the adolescent phenomenon um, came on all of a sudden, uh, and it went from being non-existent on our adolescent unit to being a majority of patients on our adolescent unit. And uh, I think the reasons for that are complex and not well not well understood. I think there's a variety of things that might be contributing to that, including social contagion, but also uh, we know that uh, these patients are disproportionately autistic and rates of autism are going up. We also know that uh, endocrine disruptors are are doing more and more harm as the years go by to uh, to especially to our youth, and that might be playing a part of it. And um, uh, antidepressant prescriptions might also be playing a part in it. Um, you know, talking about uh, talking about one of the well, one of the new sexualities is asexual, where you just have absolutely no interest in sex, and when you look at the side effects of SSRIs that a lot of these kids are taking, well, there you go. That's 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 a symptom, but it's also now an identity. That is unbelievable. What the 
non-medical community may not also realize is that there were diagnoses that existed long before we were hearing about drag queens showing up on the scene and um, being dressed up. Why don't you tell them about gynophilia? Sure. Yeah, that's been one of the things that's uh, been confusing to me as a mental health professional, as things like uh, uh, drag queens, uh, drag queen story hour, and things like that make make headlines recently. Um, drag queens is uh, a phenomenon that's well understood in the psychiatric community. It's a condition called autogynephilia, and it's adult men who uh, are um, sexually excited by portraying themselves as a parody of women. And I'm not saying that to pass judgment. I've been to drag shows as an adult and laughed and had a good time, but uh, it was overtly sexual. It's, it's sexual by nature. It is sexual by definition. So when there was all of a sudden this uh, blurring of the lines where drag queens were being considered the same as transgender people. Uh, that's just, we we know that's wrong. We know that's wrong in in psychiatry. Um, transgender people exist. They deserve to be treated with respect. They have a really hard road. They don't want to be seen. They don't want to stand out. They want to be perceived as uh, their internal understanding of their own gender. It's the exact opposite of drag queens or people with autogynephilia. They want all the attention. So when when these things started uh, uh, being blurred in the in the culture war uh, and it wasn't being talked about by the people who are the experts in these fields, that, that's something that's been really puzzling to me. Yeah, it has been a very troubling last couple of years for so many reasons. Um, I there is a there's been a turn in psychiatry recently that you and I discussed. I'd love for you to be able to speak to that. But before we do, I just want to bring the audience's attention to remember that we have Dr. Peter Bragan on America Out Loud as one of our news. Uh, he does a lot of political commentary, but he also is a psychiatrist and. Uh, a psychiatrist still practicing into his 80s. And he's known as the empathic psychiatrist. And you can actually learn more about him from not only America Out Loud, see where, let's tune into him and his wife, um, Ginger Bragan, but he has a website called empathictherapy.org. If you're looking at how to look at psychiatry from a different perspective, you might want to look at Dr. Peter Bragan. But uh, David, you also had uh, something you want to share with us about the turn in psychiatry. Yeah, um, um, maybe maybe before that, I feel like uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't just quick mention the black box warning on antidepressants about causing increases in in suicidal thoughts and behaviors. Uh, that's been on that was released by the FDA FDA in the early two thousands, and uh, it's uh, another side effect on the list of wait, isn't this medication supposed to help with that? But then you read the side effect profile, and it actually makes it worse. Um, yeah, we, I, I've had personal experience with somebody I cared for very deeply who was 20 something years old at the time, maybe 22, who was given, I believe it was Prozac that was black box labeled for anybody under the age of 25 at the time. And that person actually ended up um, overdosing. Thank goodness was uh, preserved. And thank goodness had a psychiatrist that recognized it was a drug induced suicide attempt versus a um, actual mental health breakdown that actually led to that. So it just blew my mind as a nurse to know that there are doctors out there prescribing black box labeled drugs to a high risk category. So it could happen to your child. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I do think 
there's going to be a shift in the near future around SSRIs, not because uh, the evidence has finally become overwhelming. The, the evidence has become overwhelming for a long, long time now, but we're in a situation where they are not working on the next generation of serotonin modulating antidepressants. They're working on uh, the psychedelics. And when those start to come to market, they're going to want them to have the market share. And that's when we're going to finally start seeing um, the narrative shift officially around SSRIs, uh, because there'll be something new on the market that will replace them in terms of their profitability. And if they're coming from the pharmaceutical complex, we're going to have to look with guarded eyes again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there is a shift with uh, psychiatrists throughout the country who are starting to recognize the connections between um, metabolic health and your mental health. There's a book by Dr. Chris Palmer called Brain Energy. He's a well-respected Harvard psychiatrist, and he delves into the brain energy theory of depression, where mental disorders are metabolic disorders of the brain, and metabolic treatments may lead to better outcomes than are currently possible. He talks a lot about mitochondria, Mitochondria, so we talked about serotonin being 90% in your gut. Mitochondria, they make up about 10% of your body weight. In nursing, we think of them as batteries uh, because they produce 10 billion ATP per day per cell. Your brain uses about 70% of that ATP. And what I don't remember learning in nursing school was how much mitochondria also interact with hormones. They also interact with neurotransmitters. They interact with the uh, vitamins we talked about that can contribute to depressive symptoms. They, they uh, have an incredible role to play in our mental health. Um, so uh, he kind of he kind of explores metabolic treatments for mental illness, such as low carb, high fat diets with no ultra processed foods. And there is long standing precedent for this. Uh, people who were once diagnosed with epilepsy used to be treated with a keto diet that was kind of replaced by anticonvulsants, uh, which are still commonly used for different mental health diagnoses today. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it it shows it shows it shows that there's a longstanding history for this, uh, and that there are many systems at play: gene expression, your trauma history, your sleep hygiene. Um, yeah, it, it's all it's all very complex. It's way too reductionist to uh, to say like this is a this is a serotonin deficiency. Do you see why Nurse David is such a valuable tool? He has so much information, and I want to make sure that everybody knows that he has a Substack. And he also has a website. So first, I want to tell you about his Substack and make sure to subscribe. It's called Green Monkeys. Why don't you tell us why it's called that? Oh, yeah. So that's in reference to the uh, um, habit that pharmaceutical companies have to do animal tests in order to um, mask serious side effects. So they'll do tests on green monkeys and then present those trials to the FDA and go, see, this is safe. Unbelievable. So be sure to subscribe to that. But also David, who is now retired from psychiatric nursing because of the mandates, has found a new way to be a benefit to the uh, mental health community. So why don't you tell him about the health coaching that you're doing? Sure. So I've recently become certified as a primal health coach, and I'm looking at using nutrition and lifestyle changes and, uh, and, um, self-authoring to help people avoid and reduce their 
reliance on psychiatric medications. I've got a website, www.describe.health, and uh, I'm working on setting up a, a community so that we can kind of um, crowdsource both support and um, and uh, problem solving for people who are trying to um, avoid or get off of psych meds. Yes. And if you didn't notice that word was not prescribe, it was describe. So doing the opposite of prescription, going the opposite direction of pr more prescription meds. And, and you're going to be dealing with um, self-guided mindfulness as well, I understand. So mm -hmm. I can't wait to hear more about that. We'll make sure that the audience hears more about that. Is there any last words you have for anyone that's out there listening who may be on SSRIs, uh, the, what methods to take to get themselves free? Uh, nope. Just uh, if uh, if you want to come off them, you have to do it slow. You have to taper. And uh, especially the last part of your taper, you have to reduce your dose extremely slowly. Yes. Consult your physician. And thank you so much, David, for sharing your mind with us today. Thank you so much. So thankful to have real patient advocates out there like Nurse David, who are willing to do the hard work of researching the medications that they are administering to their patients. And when there's discovery made that medications have severe, significant adverse effects on our patients, it is our obligation as nurses to provide proper informed consent. Yes, we're hoping that the doctors are doing this for their patients, but it does appear that we have a societal problem of failure to properly inform. And it does appear that we have medical physicians who are prospering financially from prescribing medications because it is incentivized for them to do so. So you only have one body. It's up to you to advocate for yourself. It's up to you to advocate for your child. No one else is going to do it for you. So please take this information with you. Remember, we are in a war for the truth. And the truth is that the medical pharmaceutical complex is looking for its own best interest and not the interest of the American people. And that reality needs to be exposed to the American people. So get this word out to those that you can share the podcast app. And we'll be back here next Friday on Nurses Out Loud Friday edition with Nurse Michelle. Until then. It's time.